Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is dedicated to Peter Armitis, who passed away on Wednesday. This episode is also dedicated to Peter's family, to his good friends Kevin Leahy and Adrian Batchelor, and to everyone at Fredericksburg FC, where Peter was a coach and board member. Fredericksburg FC have set up a soccer scholarship fund in Peter's memory. If you would like to contribute to the fund, the link will be in the show notes. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man from the city where they used to build the boats. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. They did. I I have photos of it from way back when. It looks totally different, uh, but maybe not quite to the level and scale of Sunderland. Oh yeah. Sunderland Till I Die is back on Netflix and we have seen season two episode one we're not going to go scene by scene like we do with the english game no that would be a little intense but we've got listener questions to answer on today's show but first let's talk sunderland till i die season two episode one um it's on netflix and unlike the english game they title their episodes episode one is titled a role in the renaissance hmm yeah that's and that's how we we begin up front with a very direct uh, uh, conversation with some employees and the executive director, yeah, uh, which which I enjoyed. I also enjoyed uh, when I when I went to watch this uh, the first episode of the second season. I learned that I had given up on Sunderland Till I Die's first season around the fifth episode, I think, and I may go back and watch the whole thing now because I I don't think I've been as all in on a thing in a very long time as I was after watching this first episode of the second season. <laughs> what makes you all in on the second season that didn't make you all in on the first season? Is it the, so, is it the coronavirus pandemic? I mean, a little bit. That doesn't, that doesn't, that <laughs> doesn't hurt. It was the first time, like, my wife watched with me, and uh, I guess we can spoil it a little bit, but the way it ends with Sunderland winning their first game, uh, we both celebrated that winner like it was a real goal happening. <laughs> like we were both super excited about it, and I think maybe that is probably because we don't have other sports to watch and other things to really make us feel like there's live events happening. Yeah. So that was a moment of like, yeah, they did it. Uh, well, but that, raise, that was vain. Hmm? Taylor, you raise an interesting point. How much yeah. do we spoil what happens in Sunderland Till I Die? Because, for those who don't know... This is, uh, it's, they let the cameras in at Sunderland Football Club during the 2018-19 season. So this is last season um, with Sunderland re- after they'd been relegated all the way down to League One. So they're in the third tier, new ownership. Like, I know what happens to them. I know what happens to a lot of these players. How much do we spoil this for people? I'm going to say not much because I don't. Like, aside from, like, checking in on Lyndon Gooch every now and then last season and this season, yeah. I haven't really... Uh, kept up with Sunderland. So I'm kind of excited, and that's why I think it was so captivating for me and probably for a lot of folks who have some familiarity with them or or don't and are just interested in soccer, that, like, they seem to be setting up that it could be disastrous once again, but it may also be that they finally found the right people to be in charge, and I feel like they've done a good job of of staging that for the first episode. So I'm inclined to just sort of talk about the episodes as they happen. So are you saying that you don't know right now if Sunderland started the 2019-20 season in League One, where they started 2018-19, up in the championship or down in League Two? Oh, I mean, I, I know that they don't get relegated again, or at least I don't think they okay. do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But you're, you're somewhat in the dark, though, apart yeah. from because we followed the fortunes of Lyndon Gooch, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of know what happened, but I'm, I'll tell you what, I'll, uh, 
I'll maybe just tease stuff, but I won't do any full-on spoilers. How about that? All right. All right, my that goal will be to not to not upset my friend. That will stop me stop me spoiling things. I appreciate that. <laughs> can we talk Linda? Can we talk Linda and Gooch to start with? Yeah, mm-hmm. because like you said, cheering at the end because the first game of the season um, is like the culmination of this first episode, and it ends with again spoiler alert uh, the ninety sixth minute winner from the American Lyndon Gooch, but it's the first time you hear his name in the whole episode. Yep. It, it, it sure is. Uh, it's not the first time you see him. You see him intermittently right. training. You see him in that game. And just moments before he scores the winner, you see him fail to control a squared ball and oh, goes yes. underneath his foot. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. <laughs> um, what do we make of Lyndon Gooch's lack of screen time? Because we know that he becomes something of a key player for Sunderland throughout the season. Yeah. I would guess that Netflix... Um, or sorry, Netflix don't like oversee this, right? But the documentary makers who produced this, they would know there's an American audience. So you would think that Lyndon Gooch, um, would, he's come through the Sunderland youth system, right? He moved there when he was young. He's American. You would think he would be someone they want to have on camera, right? So I'm assuming that maybe Lyndon Gooch has been one of those players, maybe like John O'Shea last season, who just said, yeah, you can use images of me in that, but I'm not, I'm not giving any on camera interviews. So I haven't seen the rest of the season, obviously. I've only seen the first episode. So he may, like, I don't know how much you've seen. I'm assuming that he may eventually end up on camera. He might not. But I think to your to your question, there's a decent chance that this episode was all about sort of clearing the dead weight or trying to clear the dead weight and trying to bring in, like, fresh new faces who might fit and some of whom who you feel are probably not going to work. Um, and maybe it would have just been sort of confusing from a narrative standpoint to then have an American who's been there and is okay, but he's not great, but he's not bad, but he's fine. Like, I think maybe he'll get, like, a little bit of time where they explain who he is or him coming through the academy. Uh, but they wanted to, I think, focus on maybe some of the bigger names and what's going on and how not happy they seem to still be playing there the ones that are still there i i hope you're right my guess Uh is we don't see many uh gooch to camera conversations just because that's how it went down last season like there were certain players who spoke to the camera and certain players who were just you saw what they did on match day and you saw them in the background you didn't see anything else no, yeah, yeah, that 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 could well be. But I enjoyed seeing Lyndon Gooch score. I enjoyed yeah. seeing Get the in. bits and pieces of him on the field. Uh, I enjoyed a lot of the. You texted me about this one. Like in the first fifteen minutes, there's <laughs> a, a moment that could be straight out of the office. I think I'm I texted assuming you, you meant the English office, right? Yeah, I texted you. Oh my god, fifteen minutes in, it turns into an episode of The Office. And yes, I'm very specifically thinking uh, Ricky Gervais's character, David Brent, who's like the the English Michael Scott. Dude, the crazy thing is there were three different moments in the first 15 minutes that I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know which thing you were referencing. I did really they, didn't. Did they all involve Charlie Methven, 6% yes, shareholder yes, and, ex- and executive director? Yes, they did. Uh, can we talk gonna, about him? I'm going to guess. Can I guess which moment it was, though? Yeah. Was it the music moment yes. when he first started? Okay, that's okay. Was, that's, and that's the special, the very office moment was when you could tell the staff were kind of laughing, um, mm-hmm. almost like Tim from the British Office, the, yep. the the forerunner of Jim, where he's trying not to laugh um, at what David Brent or Michael Scott is saying, and he almost wants to stare directly into the camera. Yeah. Um, the moment that really got me was when uh, they were talking about. So for people who haven't seen it, it's Charlie Methven. Um, who has this very posh accent. I want to talk a bit more about his background. Um, but he suggests that instead of the traditional music that plays when the players come out, he thinks it would get everybody pumped up and it would intimidate the opposition if they had electronic dance music, like similar to like how they have in Ibiza. And you just see the one guy Dude. stare at the camera just to almost like get me out of here. So here's the thing, Daryl, and why you should now just, with with the time you have, you should, at home that is, like, not much else to do, you should watch The American Office, because not only is there an episode called Cafe Disco, in which Michael <laughs> Scott starts his own, like, office disco, um, but there is, I think, 
Or no, in that same season, there's an episode in which uh, Jim owes Michael one because Jim talked Michael out of installing Tube City, which was a series of uh, hamster tubes running all over the office that they could use to send messages back and forth. Uh, oh, that feels like another that. Charlie Methvin idea of like, we should have hamster tubes everywhere. Oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> um, so, do you know, the, the scene ends with one of the young smart uh-huh. employees suggesting... None of it really matters unless we upgrade the PA system, which isn't very good. Mm-hmm. And then you just see Charlie Methven stare off into the distance. And then I think eventually he closes his laptop and then yep. the scene is over. Yep. That would be from the American office. That would be one of the accountants giving Michael the reality check of like, yeah. Michael, we don't have that money. <laughs> that can't be a thing. <laughs> that's, that's definitely what that felt like. So Charlie Methven, I, mm. I took an instant dislike to him. I'm assuming he doesn't listen to the Total Sock show, so I'm going to speak freely I, he, I have never been less surprised than that statement from you <laughs> why do you say that because like you more than me like you did not like office culture you did not like having to be there at a certain time you did not like some of the personnel that like that brought you into situations with when you're looking at the like corporate office climate yeah. and i think i maybe like just because it was more my background like i worked in an office for the first what three years of this show like so i think and then being like doing the job we were doing in Iraqi Kurdistan where we are around a bunch of like slick quote unquote businessmen. I think <laughs> it was much more a thing that I was just sort of used to. But I know it's a thing that you do not like. And I like looking at this guy, I was like, oh, Daryl's going to hate that guy. <laughs> it was the nonsense meetings and the, uh-huh. the, the meeting at the very start of this episode where he has the flipboard and he's telling them about how it was a failed business model and all this and that. Um, and you can now have a role in the Renaissance. You could tell it was all for show, right? He's like putting on a show for the cameras yep. and those poor employees are having to sit and listen to him. Because the thing that really got me is he was saying that, I mean, he's right, right? That there's millions of pounds a year in uh, interest that, that the club has to keep paying was an unsustainable business model. But the credit for that no longer existing is that when Ellis Short finally sold yep. the team, um, he just wrote off the debt as part of the sale, right? So it's not as if any of the people at the table did anything to cause that debt and they can't do anything about it going forward so this was essentially a bunch of grandstanding about something that had nothing to do with any of the employees yeah yeah i mean and, and on top of that when he says like well that was in the presentation you should have found the presentation and read it again like that like the way he delivered that even how quickly he said it i was sort oh. of like oh you don't really mean that you just know it's an opportunity to say a strong thing in front of the camera yep and i'll say this about him like my initial read on him and then i want to hear more about what you have to say is that like you can be a very serious person i like very serious per- people if that's what you want to be you can't be a very serious person who also wants to replicate the climate of a club in Ibiza. Uh, he yes. definitely pronounces it that way. Like that right there tells me like, okay, so you're kind of playing a character who's always very serious and business oriented, but also wants there to be clubby music in the background. Yeah. That kind of gives me a little bit of insight there. Well, let's talk about the music for a second before we talk more about Charlie Methven. Sure. Um, did you, the, the big thing that struck me is if you're a proper football fan, if you're a real football fan and you've been to a load of games, you know that you, you don't care about the music. If anything, you would rather the like entrance music wasn't played and, and the fans could just sing. Did you notice even, I'm not sure if it was edited together this way. I'm assuming this is how it really goes down. Um, they was, the fans were singing like Sunderland, uh, the, mm-hmm. by far the greatest team the world has ever seen. There was like a nice song going around the stadium of light. But yeah. when the players come out, then the terrible EDM goes over their PA, right? Mm-hmm. And ruins the atmosphere that the fans have created. So my contention is that any serious football fan, any serious football person knows that playing stuff over the speakers is almost the, the antithesis of an actual atmosphere. 
I learned that when I was 12 years old because the Richmond <laughs> Kickers used to play music and like sound effects during the games, and I remember players then were like annoyed by it, like yes. couldn't understand why it was happening, and it and it eventually went away. And I learned then, yeah, you don't play music during the game, and you don't need the hype music before. I, it felt to me like a person who had gone around and specifically seen the way Bundesliga clubs do it, where they will play music, but it's usually like the same song when they've scored, and it's almost a like. Hey, we scored celebration. The music is incidental to the celebrations and the cheering and yelling tour and yelling the player's name and all those moments. And it felt like he saw that and was like, oh, the music did it. The music is what got the crowd going. Let's play loud techno music. And at risk of unleashing all-out class warfare, I just hated Charlie Methven's posh accent. I took an instant dislike to his accent. Is it? I see. These are things I can't tell. Uh, so is it pretty posh? It's very posh. And I okay. looked up where he went to high school, Taylor. And based on a conversation we had recently about the Old Etonians and the English game, where do you think Charlie Methven went to high school? Did he go to Eton? He went to Eton. Oh, no. (laughs) So his suit now is a letterman's jacket to me, as we previously established. That's Charlie Methven. Wow. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to watch it again. All all, all I will say is a teaser is I know from news stories that happen throughout this season, there is um, an incident involved in Charlie Methven (laughs) that the fans are not happy with later in the year. That doesn't surprise me. That doesn't surprise me at all. And there are moments in this episode, like like one that I don't think is a is too much of a spoiler. Um, but if you haven't seen it, why are you listening? Go watch the first episode. Then listen to this. Um, the very revealing thing, I think, to me, there's lots of public facing stuff where the new owner comes in and says, like, we want to change out the faded seats. They've gone from red to Stuart pink. Stuart Donald, we, yeah. Yeah, we want to have, uh, like, players help and front office people help and fans help and season ticket holders and players and everything else. Like, we want everybody involved. And then they end up doing that. And that's a very good PR outreach moment. But Yes, you were you sort impressed see- by that? Like, to continue the office analogy, though, you can sort of see him, like, side-eyeing the camera, like, you guys see we're doing this, right? You guys are getting this? Everybody getting this? And the moment that I thought was really revealing is at halftime of that first game when they're down 1-0, and he's like, all right, well, should we go back up there? And no one goes with him. And the commentator makes a point about that. Like, the in-game commentator says, like, some of the, like, the owner and the director's slow to come back for halftime. Yeah. And that right there was like, okay, so this is maybe what it actually is, is they're excited to own the club. It's a big club that they now sort of have the ability to own and operate the owner does eventually go back but lots of people stayed in that room where there was like clearly nice food and it was air conditioned and it was all very like the trappings of wealth and fanciness i think i wanted to be i think i saw manuel vaith in the corner (laughs) what evaluating the the uh the buffet yeah press box food (laughs) critic extraordinaire oh see if it was the press box, they would have gotten out of there fast. That was definitely the owner's luxury box yes, where they I had the really nice food. I know, but my joke didn't work if, unless it was the owner's box. I like uh, the idea of him spying on the food, though. That would have been good. So, yeah, Stuart Donald, I did like the um, the idea of um, replacing what the fans called the pink seats. Yeah. So if anyone didn't know what that was, it was obviously the seats in the stadium of like a red for Sunderland, but they've been faded by the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, so they needed they needed replacing. I really enjoyed the moment where the young player that they bought from League Two, I think they bought him from Wickham, maybe Luke O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, he was doing it, and he was like interacting with some fans, and they didn't oh know who God, he was. That was brutal. That it, was brutal. It was, but he took it so well. When the when the the guy said, "Who are you?" He was just like, "Hey, I'm Luke." Yeah. When, <laughs> when you make it, and he was like, "Well, like you could tell he wanted to like, haven't I made it?" And then I think it was a reality check for him of like, "Oh, yeah. the Sunderland fan is saying like, when you make it big and move on from us, but I never we'll still have this thing." I never thought Luke O'Neill was like an arrogant guy, right? He no. was very much like he knew that that was kind of the situation, right? And then I was obviously pulling for him, and I didn't know what happened yeah. to him this season. I was pulling for him in the first game. Unfortunately, he was taken off at halftime. 
Yeah, and he and he takes that pretty well. And I think he's the one who says up front, like, I'm playing with these players who used to be in the Premier League, who've yeah. been to World Cups, who've been internationals. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's a really amazing experience. So I'm rooting for him. Um, we know, uh, listeners will know that your wife uh, is out on the English game. She stopped watching. Uh, is she into, into Sunderland Till I Die? Yeah, so this is one of those things. I did this sneaky thing where she was just sort of, you know, ha- hanging out with me, but not really watching television. Um, so rather than having, you know, sometimes you can have that whole conversation about what do we watch, what do we watch, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I just started playing Sunderland until I die. And I had this confident thing of this will catch her eye. Yeah. And it did. It definitely, it, definitely did. It's a good documentary. It, it, and, and they get a lot of, I am continually amazed that like basically they're just given the green light to do whatever they want because there are the moments like when the new manager comes in and meets some of the players, like those players do not seem excited to be there at all. Right. He walks out and you can see them look at each other like, oh, this guy's here. Like it's the way people look when David Brent slash Michael Scott leaves the room is how those players look. So Jack Ross is the manager, Mm -hmm. right? He's come down from Scotland. I think he was managing St. Mirren. Um, Yeah. And he says to them, oh, good to be back. You buzzing, lads? Are you buzzing? And they're all like, yeah. I just want to be on with it. <laughs> or to get on with it is what one of the players said. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, so I guess, no, they're not excited? I, li- I um, like Jack Ross so far, though. But um, as do I. And I think I have a feeling I didn't look him up because this is similar to like if you listen to true crime podcasts and you want to know more about the crime, like in the middle of the episode, as soon as you search it, you're going to know who did it or what happened. (laughs) So you can't like I don't want to look it up because I feel like it's going to immediately say like former Sunderland manager. But what I wanted to look up was how big he is because he sometimes you see a person on camera and they look huge and then you keep watching and you realize like, oh, they barely can see over the top of that car. They are not tall. Jack Ross, I won't be surprised if he's like six foot four or five. He looks enormous to me. Do you want to know if he's the Sunderland manager now or not? No, I don't. You don't? Okay. Mm -mm. I don't want to know anything. All right. Um, Actually, no, but what I do want to know is, so your wife did watch, she did get into it. Did she have, like, did it remind her of an American franchise? Because there was one team, we were watching it, and I kept trying to explain to Margaret, like, oh, they're, like, near Newcastle. It's kind of like a working class town. It's a little bit industrial. And then eventually, I think I nailed it, but I want to hear if she had any sort of connection. Yeah, so this similar conversation happened. I explained to her that... um, She's essentially saying, why are they so bad? Why are they in Mm -hmm. the third tier? And I was explaining to and why is it such a big deal? And why do they have so many fans? And I was explaining to her that they are a huge football team with, they did have quite a lot of money, but they're just very, very badly run, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Charlie Methven and his Ibiza DJ ambitions. Um, And she was like, oh, like the Detroit Lions. Yeah, that's what I thought it would be. I think it's any like sort of Rust Belt style city because Mm. I had the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo yes. Bills for me. And, Mar- and Margaret's family is from Buffalo, so I yeah. think that resonated a bit more. But it's, yeah, it's a little bit Rust Belty. And in the Bills' case, maybe maybe it doesn't quite work because you're right, Sunderland, like, were that bigger Premier League team. But at the same time, at least in recent memory, they haven't been that, like, super successful Premier League team the way the Bills were, like, almost there but not quite and yeah. ended up losing four Super Bowls in a row. Oh. Um, oh what, what, was the, what was the running back's name who was on that team? I just uh, Thurman a, Thomas. That's the guy. That's mm-hmm. the guy. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so yeah, Detroit, it's not quite the, the city where they used to build the boats. It's the city where they used to build more cars than they do right now. There we go. <laughs> less, less catchy as an introductory it song. It is. It is. Um, one, one final character I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh Maja. Josh Maja, the uh, oh, yeah. English-born Nigerian international. I think he's only yep. 20 at the time of uh, the episode one that we're watching now. Do you remember him from last season? Did you get to an episode with Josh Maja? 
I don't. I don't really remember anything from last season aside so, from like, we're going to fix everything. It's going to be great. There's a big moment in the first season. I may be misremembering this, by the way. So I'm, I'm like 80% confident in this where, you know, they go winless at home forever mm-hmm. in the first season. Yeah. Uh, of Literally Sunderland, a year. They Sunderland until I die. Yeah. Um, and they, what they do, they call up a couple of like kids who've been performing really well with the, either the academy or the U23s. And I'm pretty sure Josh Madger is one of those kids and he may even score the goal that gets them a win at home for the first time in a thousand years or whatever it's been. There we go. <laughs> um, so it, it's really nice to see a player who was a brief bright light last season. Um, he kind of disappears from season one after that, which suggests maybe the, the story didn't keep going. But he's back. He's like starting this season and, and looking good. I do know. I do know there's a massive transfer saga coming with Josh Madger, um once the winter comes. Yeah, it felt that way. He, he, I think, was the other player in the locker room. I forget who the first player was, but he was the other one who seemed not entirely thrilled when Jack Ross makes his uh, first appearance. Yeah, I remember. I remember. Um, uh, anything, uh, so, else, anything else yeah. about uh, Season 2, Episode 1, A Role in the Renaissance? Sunderland I have a, a question for you from Margaret. Uh, she wanted to Ooh. know if this makes you miss the kind of community aspect of soccer in England. That for you, being a Wolves fan, like I'm assuming you could go to the pub with a bunch of people who are also Wolves fan and Wolves fans and like you would listen to I'm guessing like BBC Birmingham about Wolves and what was happening there like did this like resonate with you at all or is it just sort of that Sunderland are so desperate for their club to be good that it makes it that much more intense um I don't miss that stuff as much because what you and I do has made me weird (laughs) <laughs> do you know, know what I'm exactly. saying I, I know exactly what you mean but other people may not like my favorite way to watch mm-hmm. football apart from going you know to the stadium to watch live my favorite way to watch football is in a dark room with you yep <laughs> and I, I've yeah. got to say that when I when I listen to like um uh the 606 football phone in and people you know calling in and complaining I I really like struggle with uh hearing what some fans have to say Mm -hmm. um so i'm not i I don't miss any of that stuff and i don't like you know i don't like really like watching in pubs or anything like that so yeah Mm -hmm. you've made me weird basically i made you weird i feel like you made me weird (laughs) we did we made each other weird yeah i think that's it (laughs) genuinely not sure who's weirder here i feel like it's me but who knows (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it does it does make me miss the um the the crowd the being there with a crowd all pulling for the same team yeah Oh, I have one more thing to tell you, speaking of the crowd noise. Yeah. Uh, the the moment that I paused and had to explain something uh, to, to Margaret was when the, the Spanish director yeah. was in there as well uh, <laughs> was explaining how he feels about like the, the time before the first match. Do you remember what he says? No. He says, we have this saying in Spain, it's um, the calm before the storm. And I about died and told her all about Pablo Mar and his quest to annihilate that phrase. I did. I honestly, I thought about, I thought about saying that, oh, uh, God. but I let that go. And again, that's a good insight into, again, the, the director who wants it to be a vibe of Ibiza, the Spanish guy being like, oh, we have this phrase that you've probably never heard before. <laughs> it's like, buddy, we've heard it. I think that was me channeling my inner Alexis Guerreros. Oh, Pablo. Um, <laughs> um, anything else you want to say about this episode, Taylor, before we move no. on to listener questions? No, I mean, I, I'm excited to watch it. I hope there are more English game uh, connections aside from uh, Eaton High School. Oh, yeah. So we are going to, what, we're going to review... Pr- Get some mustaches on your faces, fellas. We're going to review every episode. Uh, I think there are six episodes, season two of Sunderland Till I Die. We'll do it like this, right, in a more casual manner than we did um, the... The English game. 
Yes, I, I think that that uh, definitely works for me. And I do, I do think that we need to have the return of the mustache. I think it's time. I think it's time. If you're going to be like homebound for a long time, then maybe you should experiment with growing some facial hair, grow a mustache, grow a beard, shave your head into a mohawk. I might do that. Uh, but if you wanted to do uh, grooming elsewhere, Daryl yeah. Grove, then today's sponsor uh, can help you with that. They certainly can, Tyler. That's right, because it's Manscaped, and if you want to do some below-the-belt grooming, then Manscaped has you covered, especially with their lawnmower 3.0. 3.0, you say? Their engineering team. They've got a whole engineering team uh, that I think... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Charlie Methvin would be proud of with how much work they've put in. They spent 18 months perfecting the greatest trimmer ever uh, for your nether regions, as we've come to call them uh, for purposes of these ad reads. Um, and that does mean it's premium. You've got the long-lasting battery. You've got the LED light, which illuminates everything. I don't know if I need everything brightly lit up. Uh, I prefer to, you know, have my shame in the dark. But uh, if you want to light it up when you uh, get do, do your trimming, then Manscaped has that as well. Maybe uh, the Lomo 3.0 can play a role in the renaissance of your <laughs> below-the-belt <laughs> grooming. <laughs> it also charges, it charges rapidly with the charging duck, which is powered by USB. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. And I think uh, I was I was saying that like I I think people should grow more mustaches. I've I've trimmed my beard a little bit. I still have a mustache up top. Daryl, I think you should do the symbolism of having a mustache down there. Down there mustache. I mean, if uh-huh. I was going to do that, Lomo 3.0 would be the safest way to do it and the most precise way to do it. Also that with with all the different guards and everything like that, so you get the close shave, but you don't have to worry about any nicks, any cuts, any snags or anything like that. And you don't have to worry about paying full price because you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code TSS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code TSS. That's great. So if I want to look like my nether regions have gone to Eden, mm-hmm. um, I can yeah. use the Lomo 3.0 <laughs> down there. Yeah, you have to buy the top hat of the monocle separately to add those. <laughs> they do offer those. You just got to find them. <laughs> Thank you to Manscaped for sponsoring today's show. Indeed, uh, and thank you to everyone who sent us listener questions. It's yes. been a while since we did listener questions, but we're yeah. going to do it today. Actually, can I ask you, why has it been so long? We intended to do loads of listener questions, and I feel like we've always had something else to talk about, even though there hasn't been any football. I think it's because there hasn't been any football. We feel like we have to fill it with other things, and so we just keep having other ideas pop up of, like, interviewing national team players. Let's review this show. I yeah. want to talk to Christian Balaka. Like, it's, it's a lot of different stuff. Like, as you said with your interview with Sam Ty, which was excellent, by the way. Thank you. I pocket-dialed him while I was listening to it. <laughs> uh, that, that, was, that was strange, and then didn't know it was a video pocket-dial to the end of my dog walk. Um, <laughs> but that was, as you said, like, you don't really have the opportunity, or you don't feel like you have the opportunity to really like, go in-depth on England. Yeah. But when there's not much else to talk about, why not do that? But to do that, why not talk to Sam instead of me because I'm just going to be like, oh, it's England, and he'll have lots of detailed thoughts. He, uh, by the way, he's done his ranking of Marvel Cinematic Universe films. Mm-hmm. Um, he put Thor two in the top five. That 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 is contrarian. So now we being contrarian. We just never have him on the show again, right? I mean, pretty much. He yeah. should feel shame. He, he should feel shame. The reason why I accidentally called him is because I was texting him a photo of the framed uh, Korg print that my wife because <laughs> you all were talking about Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. All right, yeah. you ready for today's first question? Mm-hmm. Um, it's from Kenneth Sidon. Kenneth asks us, which US national team player, current or former, men's or women's, would you enjoy being quarantined with the most and which would you probably not enjoy? 
Sure. I will go with the second part. First, the ones that I think I would least want to be quarantined with, uh, first is Clint Dempsey. Uh, really? Because I have a feeling I would annoy him a lot. Uh, <laughs> Clint Dempsey doesn't strike me as a talker. Uh, I definitely am. I feel like I am sort of uh, cheerful <laughs> is my like default setting, especially in times of uh, great stress. I feel like that's maybe not a thing that he is going to necessarily enjoy. And one thing we know about him is like he wants to be outdoors. And I yeah. think, let's say he's quarantined with me in my house, uh, my my small house in in like the city. I doubt he's gonna love that. You I know that's gonna put him in a good mood. You need a fishing pond, right? And he mm-hmm. he wants to go fishing. You don't have any little for, kid fishing pond. Yeah, Perfect. he'll be he'll be fishing in the bath the whole time. Yeah, um, uh, I would say your was... your relationship with Clint Dempsey. I imagine mm-hmm. it would be similar to C three PO and Han Solo. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> I don't love being C three PO. I think that's the s- second or third time in various settings you've compared me to C three PO. Really. <laughs> oh, yes. I remember the first time. <laughs> uh, at my wedding. <laughs> Daryl gave a speech. That was part of it. A lovely speech, by the way. It was, it was really, 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 really lovely. Another reason why I enjoyed my wedding. Oh, uh, the whole wedding was great, but your speech was the best. Um, uh, and then the other one that I think I maybe wouldn't want to be quarantined with is Jermaine Jones, because I feel like I'd get paranoid and walk in and he'd be on his phone. I'd be like, you do an Instagram stories about me? You're telling stories? You're telling tales? I don't need that in my life, man. <laughs> Plus, you'd be getting uh, calls from the Cooligans trying to connect you. That is also true. Uh, <laughs> so those are my mate. least. Do you, do you want to jump in and tell me the ones that you think would be least successful for you? Yeah, I think similar like intensity is the thing I want to avoid. So mm-hmm. I'd be avoiding um, Hope Solo, who I think yep. others very intense, and Eric Winolda. I, I kind of like Eric Winolda, but I think spending a long time with him might be might be problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just based on his recent press conferences um, or lack thereof, Ernie Stewart. I feel mm-hmm. like maybe he's better behind the scenes and it's just what he's like in front of camera and microphone. But Ernie Stewart feels like he's not opening up much and starting any good conversations. Yeah, that, that Daryl, you've put the perfect amount of thought into this because I think I went a little too deep on some of these. Ernie Stewart is the correct answer, by the way. Uh, but like, <laughs> I was like Ashlyn Harris or, uh, or uh, Ali Krieger. Like w- one or the other, that'd be, that'd be great. And then I was like, wait, but they're married. They don't yeah, want to be with me. They don't want to be with They'll just be mad. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I can't do that. Um, so uh, the ones that I did end up with uh, in my mind, uh, one was Sam Mewis uh, because she'll teach me how to have like, like good ball control. She'll teach me how to be an all-around comprehensively good midfielder. But oh, are you picturing – have, have you guys got a garden? Oh, is this your house, right? So you picture oh, no. you could play soccer in your garden. We've got a tiny little garden, but no, yeah. like we could do like, you know, like she could help me do the, the toilet paper challenge and whatnot. And <laughs> there's little things we could do to work on technique inside. But also from everything I've seen from like before, during and after the World Cup, she seems to be one of the best locker room presences on that team. Like there's always the videos of her like dancing by herself. Once the dance party has ended, she keeps it going. Yeah. She does a lot. I think she's, she's big on choreographed dances, things like that. So I feel like she could also, you know, have some good dance parties. I'm, I'm in for that. <laughs> um, interviews I've heard, heard with Crystal Dunn. She sounds very yeah. quirky and mm-hmm. fun. Um, so I, I think I could handle being quarantined with Crystal Dunn. She yelled at a motorcycle rider while she was talking to me on the phone. Yeah. That yeah. happened. <laughs> I like that. that part I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. Um, so yeah. I also thought about maybe players from the 90s. The players that we've met from the 90s mm-hmm. seem kind of, what's the word, like, garrulous a word? You know, like... Yeah, garrulous, yeah. Yeah. So like Lalas or Miola... These guys are like good conversationalists. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I feel like they'd be good to they'd be good to spend time with. Tony Tony Mule is up there because he yeah. was at, he did the, the live show in Atlanta with us, and he was like very friendly, very personable. Like he showed up there just because he wanted to like see what was going on, and then we had him up on stage on a whim, and he gave these like incredibly thoughtful, deep answers to yeah. questions that he had not seen previously, was not prepared for, just spoke extemporaneously, and did so yeah. very very well. And then, do you remember? Have I told the story about what I what I made him sign? No. 
Um, my brother-in-law, Drew, who you know, is a goalkeeper. He was a goalkeeper growing up. I, multiple people have confirmed this story since then, that he was a goalkeeper who owned Tony Miola's jersey and gloves. Like, he bought the jersey Tony Miola had. He bought the gloves Tony Miola had. And when Tony Miola quit playing soccer to go try to be a place kicker, Drew hid them in his closet. He refused to wear them. He wore, like, T-shirts instead of Tony Miola's gear. So I told Tony Miola like this. He felt betrayed and he, by Miola. Yes, because it was like all of his friends were then like, well, you're, you were saying like you were saying soccer's the best. Then why did he go play football? And Drew like lost that argument. So Tony Miola signed him a note that said like, Drew, sorry, buddy, <laughs> Tony Miola. <laughs> Brilliant. So yeah, yeah, again, a very charismatic fella. And then I also had uh, Christian Pulisic in mind. Oh, so I had I actually my final choice is to mm-hmm. go with um, I, I originally wrote one of the youngsters because yep. I want to learn to play. Fortnite mm-hmm. and FIFA, right? This like I'm not going to do it in this like when when I'm home right now because I'm working on Total Soccer Show, hanging out with my wife, like I'm doing other stuff, and I don't want to end up playing loads of video games. But in this situation, if I wasn't quarantined with my wife, I was quarantined with a footballer. It seems to me like Christian Pulisic, Weston McKennie, Tyler Adams, all those guys play a bunch of Fortnite and a bunch of FIFA. So I think this would be my moment to sort of say, all right, I'm going to play these games and you guys are going to teach me how to play them. Um, so then I'm I, with you on that. I have, I have my one concern there, my one moment of hesitation. All right. Tell me, tell me in a minute. I want to go through my list. Mm-hmm. So I, f- I thought about the three, right? The, the Holy Trinity, McKenny, mm-hmm. <laughs> Adams and Pulisic. Yeah. Um, McKenny seems really fun. Right, mm-hmm. he'd be good for a few days, I think. But I also feel like McKenny might be the guy that starts doing pranks and stuff, and I don't yeah. want to be the victim of any Western McKenny pranks. Um, Pulisic seems a bit more serious and intense. I feel like Tyler Adams is the most mature, the best balance. So I'd go Tyler Adams. I'd play Fortnite and FIFA with him, and I'd also be there to tell him every day: be careful with those adductor muscles. <laughs> I'd be doing a national service, uh, basically. I think you would, and I appreciate that. And you could like teach him how to wrap himself in bubble wrap. That'd be fine, too. <laughs> uh, Pulisic has been posting videos of him doing different dances, uh, some of which he is better at than others. I appreciate, again, the confidence to like throw that out there and you know just try to do different things. Yeah. McKenny, the one that I cannot get out of my head is, do you remember when he was like first in the national team camp under Sarakin? And there was a video of them doing like some sort of like keepy-uppy competition, and whoever lost, like, I think it was Timothy Weah, that he flicked in the ear really yes. hard, and that appeared to be the punishment. Yep. I would get a little bit concerned that that would bring out my like very strong competitiveness and then suddenly we would end up like odd couple style with like a line down the middle of the room and not speaking yeah you and McKenny could be a problem I think a little bit, little bit. <laughs> so who did you who did you settle on uh Sam Ewis and Christian Pulisic Sam Ewis and Christian Pulisic you'll choose yeah. one I'll go Sam Ewis okay all right Sam Ewis um and so I'm going Tyler Adams mostly because mm-hmm. I just keep an eye on those adductor muscles he would come out 100% healthy I like it. I like it. I appreciate. I appreciate that. Hopefully, you appreciate the next question right. uh, from John Adams. Not that Not one. That one. <laughs> does the Olympics being pushed back, or the other one? There's two John Adams. Lest we forget, uh, and probably several more. Uh, does the Olympics being pushed back to July 2021 help the U.S. women's national team? If so, how? Uh, for context, it has been widely publicized that the Women's World Cup champions have trouble maintaining that best in the world quote unquote status through the following Olympic tournament. Does this postponement mitigate some of the reasons for that? So yeah, I think what John's referring to is no team has ever won the World Cup and then the Olympics back to back, right? So th- and this was the U.S.'s chance to do it. Um, I think maybe yes, because I've, I've always been concerned. We haven't talked about it too much on the show that Alex Morgan would be coming back post-pregnancy and either she'd be not fully fit and she'd be in the team or it would just cause a whole selection headache. So I think that's the one main problem that pushing this back to 2021 solves. Um, I, I also think the bigger thing is, and I'm not saying this is the reason they haven't won 
uh, the Olympics after the World Cup in the past. I think part of the part of the problem though is that we win the World Cup, mm-hmm. then we go on the victory tour, and especially yep. this time around, you go on the victory tour with Jill Ellis in charge, right? Because it's like the, the Jill Ellis team and Jill Ellis in charge and the same players mostly. And it's those are sort of, victory tours weird, right? They they mm. they owed that money sort of. It's like a, a chance to cash in and make some extra money on on the World Cup win, but it's not. It's like half half the year, right? That you could be preparing for the Olympics instead. Um, so Vlatko had to wait. Then Vlatko takes over start of the year. All he's had is a couple friendlies. I think he had maybe one in November or December, mm-hmm. right? Um, really he, easy. They had a camp in December, right? But then yes, yeah, maybe they had a couple friendlies. I forget. Yeah, but then they had really easy Olympic qualifying and one she believes cup. And then we would have been straight into the Olympics. So I think it's better for this team to have like the victory tour and all that long in the past and Vlatko to have like a year and a half with the team uh, so that they're ready to go for Olympic qualifying and for the Alex Morgan situation to be, if she is coming back, at least she's coming back fully fit. I think this analogy will work. I agree with you, especially about Alex Morgan. Um, like you, uh, my wife and I have this term for like when we're like dining out and there's the point of no return with food, where you can look at it and realize like, okay, right now there is enough for leftovers. If I take one more bite, then that plate is too small and it doesn't make sense for it to be uh, <laughs> packaged up and brought home. Yeah. And I feel like what ends up happening is you have the World Cup and let's say the United States wins and they have the victory tour and then you sort of w- once that's done, you have like as you said a couple games and then it's World Cup qualifying or Olympic qualifying. So let's just k- stick with the team that's. Been there we've done the victory tour maybe you change one or two but mostly it's the same and then if you're sticking with that team for the olympics eh, well then maybe we'll just stick with them for like or olympic qualifying then we'll stick with them for the olympics yes. and it feels like you kind of keep taking bites until eventually there's nothing left on the plate which would be okay we're at the olympics now and it's the same squad and i do wonder if maybe the extra year buys Vlatko time to have more friendlies to have sort of a bit more rotation and figure out who yeah. really fits with what he wants it's a chance to do a full refresh right and get some mm-hmm. get a whole fresh meal instead of <laughs> instead of the leftovers from 2019 yeah, but it also does, and this is where you said maybe yes. Uh, I really agree with the maybe because I had yes and no. Uh, yes, for the reasons you've mentioned, especially Alex Morgan, but then vice versa. I mean, they're still going to have the target on the backs. They're still going to be the World Cup champions, so that won't change. But then on top of that, it's another year. So it's Megan Rapino a year older. It's Carly Lloyd a year older. And so that could be good in terms of maybe it kind of keeps them going, keeps them motivated, and they're fully fit and ready to go. It could also mean that we've got younger players coming through and taking those spots and performing well. But it might be that those players kind of stick around, keep trying to play maybe lose a little bit and now we have some of the debate we're having right now about should Carly Lloyd be starting should Carly Lloyd go yeah but we have it a year from now I don't know if that is a good thing oh yeah because we've got a lot of players who are advancing in towards the end of their mm-hmm. careers and they would be even closer to the end of their careers if we push it back a year is that basically what exactly. you're saying yeah yeah exactly Ooh. Mm-hmm. in the pro column I think is we may have um, I don't want to get into the details on this but we may have a different political situation hmm that Let's hope. Yeah, by the summer of 2020. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like There might yeah. not be mm-hmm. that that distraction. Yeah, all right. Well, that's yeah. good. So, that, that makes me so feel that, maybe better. There's that as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, are you ready for the next question? Fingers crossed the world still exists. Yes, yeah. coming from Andrew Moore. Due to Benzema's comments about himself and Giroud, uh, with uh, Benzema being a Ferrari, Giroud being a go-kart, I've started to see the opinion that Giroud had a bad World Cup because he had no goals and no shots on target. Can you explain why Giroud was important to France and what his role was in 2018? Did you know uh, what so Andrew di- was talking about when he asked this question? Yeah, uh, Benzema came out. Did he? I can't remember if he said it in an interview or if it was like a written thing, but he basically It was an Instagram said, live like re- interview yeah. type thing, yeah. And he was comparing himself and Olivier Giroud. Yeah. And he said, I'm a Ferrari and he's a go-kart. He said, you can't confuse a Formula One mm. car with a go-kart and I'm right. being kind. I know yeah. I'm a Formula One car. 
It works because he's there. That's it. It's not going to be spectacular. <laughs> Griezmann and Mbappe get seen more while he rolls his sleeves up and does the dirty work. But mm. does everyone like his game? I don't know. To, yeah. I mean, <laughs> when Giroud was confronted with his comments, he said, yeah, a world champion go kart. That's a great quote. It's a great quote. And I think like buried in there is like the nugget of truth, which is that Olivier Giroud did all the work that probably Karim Benzema didn't want to do. <laughs> like, yeah, like he did a lot of the physical hold of play. He didn't get much glory for it. He got a lot of criticism for it, but he did the role he needed to do in order for France to win. And I think you, you've done more like deep dive going back and I'm assuming reading some stuff, maybe listening to some stuff. But my memory was essentially that he freed up Antoine Griezmann and Kylian Mbappe to have more attacking freedom to kind of play on the counter because he's there knocking the ball down, he's doing the hold-up play, and he's vacating space to allow them to then occupy that space. That's exactly it. And I'll tell you, I didn't read anything, I didn't listen to anything. I went back and watched every there France go. goal from the 2018 World Cup. You, were, mm-hmm. you had the uh, you, you went you went eyes, you went ears, but it was the it was eyes. So you were right the first time. Okay, uh, I didn't read anything. <laughs> I watched the video, all France's World Cup goals. The first game, Taylor Rockwell, the first game of World Cup 2018, France against Australia. They line up without Giroud. Yep. They go with a front three of Dembele, Griezmann, and Mbappe, and it doesn't go all that well. It's a no. little bit sort of they're not they're all over the place. Like it's a front three that's meant to be all interchangeable and pacey and exciting. I think it's one one with about seventy with about seventy minutes gone. Giroud comes off the bench. Um, Giroud plays a beautiful one two with some beautiful number nine hold up plates back to goal top of the box. Receives the ball from Pogba, puts it back into Pogba's path. Pogba scores the winner. And that's it. From there on out, Olivier Giroud starts every single game and he plays number nine centre forward with Mbappe to his right and Antoine Griezmann to his left. And he is there as the fulcrum around which everything rotates, including Mbappe rotating very quickly beyond defenders. And, and strangely, it, it is like with what you have just said there, it is sort of uh, Olivier Giroud that solves a major problem that France were yes. facing heading into this because it's that front three, like th- going into it, the conversation was, can Griezmann play in a front three? It's a thing that Barcelona are still sort of trying to figure out now is yeah. how do you make that work? Because historically, when he's the most successful at Atletico Madrid, it's in a four four two with a strike partner that he can play off of that will do the physical work. It's Diego Costa. It's Fernando Torres. It's people who do, do the sort of hard work, the physicality to knock it down to hold it up so that he can then kind of make the runs he wants to make a Giroud does that he frees them up he does a lot of that work so that Mbappe so that Griezmann are able to do kind of what they want to do to the best of their ability and I think in most games France instead of going with the 4-3-3 they went in with they go with a 4-2-3-1 and it's yep. always Giroud center forward Mbappe tearing it up down the right and Griezmann is just playing sort of just behind Giroud and playing off him a little bit and it leaves France free to play usually a more defensively capable left winger. Like often it's Blaise Matuidi or someone like that on the left. Um, And then there's a defensive job done down that left flank, but Griezmann's got all that space underneath Giroud to exploit. So it goes really, really well. So after that Australia game, um, uh, Giroud has an assist kind of via a blocked shot that falls to Mbappe um, against against Peru in the group stage. Then in the round of 16 goal against Argentina, he uh, sets up uh, Kylian Mbappe for the fourth goal in the 4-3 win. Um, over Argentina so he's got like two assists basically and he's integral to, to everything that France are doing in terms of their shape and um, one thing I did read actually I lied earlier I did read a little bit um, he did a lot you of reader he did, he did a lot of defending corners because Giroud was in there he was the uh, one who was heading a lot of corners yeah. away so he did a defensive job as well Man, I forget with with all that, like, one of the things that made France so much fun is because they're a team that, at its core, like, 
everything they did made sense. That yeah. it was like, like to your point, like, okay, so Mbappe's on the right in a 4-2-3-1, he's tearing up and down the right wing, and there'd be that moment of like, oh, but that leaves the entire right side exposed, except that they have Pavar there, but then they also had uh, Paul Pogba, who was like the right central midfielder, would slide over and be yes. more defensive. To be- and it just felt like everything sort of, like, no matter where you moved a piece, everything kind of moved around to fit that piece as well. Mm-hmm. And you could sort of adjust as you needed once they had Giroud in there. He was kind of that final piece they needed for everything else to kind of be changeable, but still make sense. And it's worth pointing out that Karim Benzema is basically bitter about Mm -hmm. his ruined relationship with the French football team, right? He Mm -hmm. hasn't played for France since either 2015 or 2016 when he was, at the very best case scenario, he was the go-between in a possible um, extortion thing with Valbuena, right? Who was a teammate at the time. So I don't know about the internal politics or the internal workings of the French national team, but it seems like um, Deschamps is the coach, right? No, sorry, who's the coach? In for, for France, yeah, it was Deschamps. Deschamps, sorry, mm-hmm. Deschamps. I think decided there's just there's no point like having this weird argument and getting him involved. It seems like the Fran- the French team is better off without Benzema being involved, right? Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. more it's at the very at the very best it's or the worst it's like a personality thing rather than a talent thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, and so I think it's rooted in that, and it's probably also rooted in the fact that Olivier Giroud. I mean, look at that face. That's the other thing he does. <laughs> look at that face. Mm-hmm. Come on now. <laughs> All right, ready for the next question? I am. Kare- I'm excited about this next question. Kareem Rahmtulla asks, what style of play would be most exciting to watch in empty stadiums? And I've got mm-hmm. to be honest, when I, when I read this question, I didn't even think empty stadiums. I thought about the Premier League's proposed, I believe you called it a yeah. mega event, mm-hmm. um, which I'm picturing not even in a All stadium, caps. But, caps. but just on um, a field, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so if, but if, if it was in a, an actual empty stadium where you could really hear everything, if it's on a field where you can still hear everything, I think there are two styles that I'm really excited to see played in that format, Do provided tell. we can hear everything. Do tell. One is, is a high-pressing system, because I, I think to be able to hear the communication between the players to and and it's kind of similar for both of these but it's hearing the communication between the players hearing specifically who is in charge of sort of orchestrating and like if we'll hear because we always talk about like uh, pressing triggers if we'll hear them say like he's going and then they all go and what we hear from let's say Jurgen Klopp with Liverpool I'm going to assume we'll be able to hear quite a bit of Jurgen Klopp making like instructions and yelling directions yeah so I think how they sort of make that really high intensity system work uh, will be fascinating to hear vice versa well, one thing I one think- thing I'd say before you move on mm-hmm. is my understanding is that with pressing triggers it's yeah. not verbal it's when something happens that you can see right because yeah. then it, you're able to uh, you're able to have it happen a lot faster but then i think it'll be the reason to me it's even more exciting is because it'll be the finer details right the, mm-hmm. than that well, like it's what happens beyond that is what when you'll hear people talking i should have clarified i didn't say it very well what i was trying to say is like when it's not working yeah like okay, i yeah. want to be able to hear like ox <laughs> like i want to know who's the player players who's <laughs> not responding like i think you'll be able to kind of get a clearer picture of who's lagging the responsibility who's even like physically fatigue wise lagging mm-hmm. like that's the stuff i kind of want to hear and then i like as i was saying vice versa i think it'll be really interesting to see teams playing against a bunker and teams utilizing a bunker to like see out a game or to really frustrate their opponent because again with so, no fans so Burnley? Yeah, yeah okay let's go with Burnley for a minute <laughs> like because with no fans I think you don't get uh, like the atmosphere that will if you're say let's say it's Spurs playing at home against Burnley they have the kind of atmosphere the large crowd there who's going to pick them up who's going to kind of give them that next level if they need it with no fans they aren't going to get that next level of like enthusiasm of support, but they're also not going to have the pressure yeah. of the grumbling, being incapable. The yeah, grumbling so of no-nil and they can't break this down. 
Yeah, but then hearing how like Spurs would try to go about dealing with that, it's ironic that I pick Spurs because they're Mourinho, uh, but <laughs> whatever team. Like hearing them try to figure it out and the communication going on of how they're trying to solve it and vice versa, the communication of the team, keeping it organized, keeping it tight. You're, you're, you're a yard too far. You're a yard too far out. You're a yard too far too close. Like hearing all of those little adjustments, uh, I think will be very insightful and therefore very exciting. So the one I was most excited for, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't not enjoy um, everything mm-hmm. you just described, but I was thinking of... Um, um, a positional play type team, mostly because of what we can glean in terms of what Berhalter is trying to do with the U.S. men's yeah. national team. So right. I guess the best the best example is probably a Guardiola team, right? Guardiola mm. and his uh, positional play. Um, and you do hear him talking to the Man City, or you see him gesticulating and talking to Man City players quite a lot. And I'd like to hear them all talking to each other about the positions and where they should be and how, how the patterns of play are supposed to go. Uh, basically, I would love to see it done at the very highest level so that we can pick things up about what we hope is going on with the US men's national team. All right. I'm down for that, yeah. too. I'm, I'm just excited to watch any sort of soccer. That's about right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, next question. Daniel Martini. Okay. Daniel Martini says, mm-hmm. given we're all at home with no new soccer fact and mm-hmm. nbc gold is now free through april did you know didn't this know i didn't know this because nope. we already have a subscription right but if you yeah. if you don't have nbc gold um you now have it because it's free if you just go to the nbc sports website this means that every premier league game that has aired this season every premier league game this entire season is available to watch for free um on the nbc website which is great right so mm-hmm. daniel says given that all that stuff is available what are the top five games of the Premier League 2019-20 season that are worth re-watching and why? So we haven't talked about how we're going to approach this question, Daryl. No. What would you like to do? Do you want me to list my five or do you want to go like one by one? Let's go each one by one, but I'm really aware of time. So maybe just give a quick reason about why. Sure. Uh, so I'll start. Uh, I kind of have them in chronological order. In fact, I do. Uh, Arsenal 2, Tottenham 2 from September 1st. You get to see Christian Eriksen and Harry Kane score. Christian Eriksen still playing for Spurs. But you can also see with Unai Emery and Pochettino still there managing. Maybe you get to see some of the issues that are already happening, where they're coming from, how they're not being resolved. You can kind of see them because it is that 2-2 draw. I've got my first one is October 26. I have that game too. Burnley 2. Mm-hmm. Chelsea 4. And the obvious reason is Christian Pulisic hat-trick. It's a Pulisic party. Watch it again. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that was my second one. My third one would be Liverpool 3, Man City 1 from November 10th, because you basically see Liverpool swat aside their most likely challenger for the title. That's also on my list. Yeah, I think this is the... It's almost the season or the most of the season um, encapsulated, right? This is yep. the evidence that Liverpool are a better team than Manchester City this season. And it all starts with that beautiful Fabinho early goal. Yes, it does. Uh, what have you got next? Uh, up next, let's go um, October 25th. Oh. Leicester 9, Southampton 0. I don't actually think it would be enjoyable, but it's a unique experience, right? It's just the absolute horror show of this Southampton performance. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, you could just see them completely not get it together. And nine goals is nine goals. Nine goals is nine goals. If I remember correctly as well, they're nicely spread out throughout this game. So... Um, another Man City game for me, uh, December 7th, Man City 1, Man United 2. I mean, obviously it had to be in there. Uh, the VAR uh, for Rashford's penalty, it's, it was an actual good usage of VAR, so that's nice to see. Yeah. Uh, you have Anthony Martial, basically, I have him as uh, being Thanos because he just decides, I'll do it myself. And that's <laughs> where the second goal comes from. And then you have the late drama of maybe City are going to find a way through, uh, but knowing they won't, maybe watching it again if you're a Man United fan will be that much more enjoyable. I've got another Man United game for you, November 24th, Sheffield mm-hmm. United 3, Manchester. Manchester United 3. 
I mostly included this because you've got to have a Sheffield United game on there because they're okay. sort of the the surprise. That's, probably, that's a fair point. The yeah. surprise team of the season, right? Overlapping fullbacks and everything else that's going on there. Um, but also, it's got like a classic Manchester United comeback in it. But then it's also got United coming back, taking the lead. And then Sheffield United equalising, which I think says a lot about where Man United are right now. Yeah, it's like, the new classic Man United. The new classic Man United. Like, but it's nearly there, right? It's not quite Ferguson days because they had the comeback, but then they let it slip right at the end. Yes, it's as successful as New Coke for sure. There we go. Uh, and then my final one, I have an if-then. Um, if you're a Liverpool fan, I would say their 2-0 win over Man United on January 19th to see them uh, beat an opponent. But I remember that was us driving back from the coaching convention in Baltimore. You were watching it. I was driving. Oh, yeah. You were sort of letting me know. Yeah. And it was consistently no updates from a Man United perspective. It was all like, <laughs> Liverpool have the ball, it looks like it's going to be three, it might be four, it might be five. So I think if you're a Liverpool fan, seeing them dominate their rival would be uh, pretty enjoyable. If you are not a Liverpool fan, I would say their 3-0 loss to Watford on February 29th Ooh. is a pretty good one to watch. I is That it? was actually one of the first games that came to mind for me, not just because I'm a Man United fan, Liverpool losing, it really wasn't that. It was sort of seeing how Watford went about like breaking Liverpool and what they did to get the result and how hard they worked and positional interchanges and Troy Deeney being Troy Deeney, you, Liverpool you to, kind of taking their foot off the gas. You have to it's push Joe really Gomez, right? Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. That doesn't hurt. <laughs> my final game, it's actually my number one, but I saved the best till last. December 27th, Wolves 3, Manchester City 2. Wolves go 2 0 down, yeah. uh, then they win 3 2. This is one of those classic um, Adama Traore on the counter attack kind of games. Yeah, that checks out. That checks out. Yeah. He, uh, I've been playing FIFA 20 a lot lately. Adama Traore is terrifying. I'm in sure. That game. <laughs> he is real, real good and real, real fast and real, real strong. And FIFA has evolved, right? We were talking about this off air earlier. FIFA has evolved, but it still seems that just having fast players is the key to FIFA. It doesn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you can get him up to like a, a 95 or so. Yeah. Uh, do you know who one of my starting central midfielders is from Manchester United in the 2020-2021 season? Bruno Fernandes? Weston McKinney. Weston McKinney. <laughs> yeah. We've been All doing right. some training. He's real good these days. He's real, real good. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I've taken us away, uh, but sort of not because I'm talking about Man United and how I love them. And we do have Robert Cordova's question. Yeah. Daryl, any other games you wanted to mention before we move on? Um, one that almost made my list but didn't was Liverpool's 5-2 win over Everton because it mm-hmm. contains a, a counter-attacking masterclass from Sadio Mane. And if you remember this game, I mean, it's the one where Origi scores, also scores the, um, there's the, just the long ball out of the back from Lovren and Origi just brings it down in the air and then lobs it over the keeper. Oh, you remember yes, this game? Of course. Yes. But it mostly yes, it's now. Everton having a high line that involves Michael Keane um, and Liverpool, Sergio Mane just dribbling in behind a lot. Here's my response to that. Were Liverpool playing? They sure were. Was Sergio Mane on the field? He sure was. Then it's the Sergio Mane uh, counterattacking masterclass. <laughs> <we> Always. <laughs> Always. Uh, Robert Cordova, uh, who are Daryl and Taylor's favorite cult players for Wolves and Manchester United? So I don't know why, but I felt when we talked earlier, I felt the need to define cult player. And sure. not because I didn't trust you, but I also, I'm not sure if this is, basically I think this is more of an English thing is cult players than in the US. Am I being sort of um, Anglo-centric by assuming that? No, I don't, I don't think so. It's just, I think it's a little bit harder because Man United are Man United and they have a lot of very, very famous people. But I mean, if you're looking at like what a cult movie is, it's a movie that was like maybe not appreciated or like, like went underappreciated in its time, but since then has developed this following and is now uh, very much beloved by at least a certain group of people. Yeah. It's a, it's something with a small and passionate following, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if my answer necessarily qualifies. I'll let you be the judge, but I want to hear yours first. Okay, mine for Wolves is John mm-hmm. DeWolf. 
Do you know who John oh, DeWolf is? Of course. Is? Of course. He's my favorite. He's your no, favorite. No, I have no idea who that oh, is. Okay, so in the mid 90s, Wolves, they were splashing the money around when they were in the second tier. Um, mm-hmm. Graham Taylor was the manager. They paid £600,000, which is a lot back then, um, for John DeWolf, Feyenoord captain. First of all, that he- feels like a thing I would do after a few drinks playing FIFA as Wolf. <laughs> like, I'm getting everybody named Wolf on my team. Exactly. So it's Wolves. They signed John DeWolf. He turns up. He is a six foot two centre back with long, flowing blonde hair. Um, he was immediately made captain of Wolves. And he plays for he plays for two seasons, but his first season is really, really successful. He absolutely bullies every centre forward he plays against. He, he knocks them about. He scores a hat trick against Port Vale from centre back. Um, the hat trick is completed when Steve Ball. So we're back in that era. Steve Ball wins a penalty. DeWolf already has two goals that he scored off corner kicks, and Steve Ball gives DeWolf the ball to step up and and make get a hat trick uh, from the penalty spot. So John DeWolf is an absolute legend at Wolves. Uh and Steve, what's his last name? <laughs> Steve Bull. Spelled? B-U-L-L. So, listeners, the very first episode Daryl and I did was, like, our top five favorite players as, like, a way to introduce people to us and to the show. And Daryl said that name a hundred times, and I still did not know if he was saying ball or bull. <laughs> and it really, really took me a while. I think I didn't ask in the moment because I was too nervous. Uh, but now I know. Now I know for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, actually, Steve Bull is an example of a genuine legend who played for the club for mm-hmm. years, and everybody knows who he is. John DeWolf is an example of a player who just came in for one season and lit it up and then got injured and disappeared. But for fans of Wolves in the 90s, he has this sort of cult following of John DeWolf. John DeWolf was All where right. it's at. One of the great moments from DeWolf we're in an FA Cup penalty shootout against Sheffield Wednesday. Um, it's gone to um, sudden death penalties, right? I'm not sure how many penalties deep we are, but it's approaching 10 or 11. Um, playing for Sheffield Wednesday is Chris Waddle. So Chris Waddle, oh. you'll know famously, missed the penalty kick for England in the 1990 World Cup semi-final. Um, he hadn't taken a penalty since. He didn't want to take a penalty. But you know as well as I, Taylor, in sudden death penalties, eventually... Everybody has to take a penalty, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, it's the worst when you sort of look around and realize, like, ooh, numbers are dwindling. I'm going sooner rather than later. And this is Waddle, famous for his penalty miss. This is a televised FA Cup penalty shootout. DeWolf scores, and then you have to pass the next penalty taker, right, on your way back. And DeWolf leans in and says something to Chris Waddle as Waddle's on his way to take his penalty, and Waddle misses. <laughs> so, what do you think he said um so there's it, it was longest best of luck a, a to thing you, of like what what do we think DeWolf said to chris waddle mm-hmm. um the athletic got the answer <laughs> so there's an article Ooh, about right. john DeWolf um on the athletic um apparently he'd asked his teammates what to what to say to chris waddle and what to call him and apparently what he said is you're going to miss blockhead <laughs> blockhead yeah Ooh, which i don't deep. know if that's like the sanitized like version of what he said but that's what he told uh tim spears at the athletic you're going to miss blockhead Th- that's the type of insult that would mess with me just because i'd be like blockhead like, <laughs> is my head a block and like i would be thinking like where did that come from as yeah. i was taking the penalty oh. like I, I, I like that one that's well done yeah um, and then sorry to, to close this story out so mm-hmm. dewolf has this magnificent season his name sounds like wolves he's got this long blonde hair he's like the best center back wolves have got um, he's injured towards the end of the season and doesn't come back in time for the playoffs. Wolves losing the playoffs. Next season, he's too injured, can't play much, has to go back to the Netherlands. So basically, Wolves don't even get a full season out of him, but um, he becomes a cult hero in his short time at Wolves. 
All right. All right. That That is an excellent answer. I, again, I don't know if you will approve of mine uh, because I, I, I had it down to two players. Uh, but, like, I don't think – is Nemanja Vidic a cult player? Because I feel like everybody – maybe initially he had some criticism, but by the end everybody, like, recognized he's just a very, very good defender. I think you're confusing cult with, like, initially underrated, but then everybody mm-hmm. likes it. Like, Shawshank Redemption is not a cult movie, right? Everybody, mm-hmm. everybody likes right. it. The Boondock Saints is a cult movie. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I think I'm still going to go with my original answer, yeah. which is Dimitar Berbatov. Okay. <laughs> that is my answer. Uh, just because that is a player who I think especially, and maybe this is wh- where I am coming from. Maybe you would disagree with the way I see it, but like, like he was, I think the, like the top scorer for Man United in his penultimate season or his final season and yet like never played for them it's because he scored like five against Blackburn uh but he didn't really play he wasn't very popular he was kind of weird he didn't fit the high intensity style uh he wanted to feed squirrels and smoke and just was kind of a strange guy and so he didn't have that like level of love and respect that a lot of players did in that moment but because he was so good and just had those like outstanding moments of skill, the flick on the end line is the most famous one that comes to mind. Yeah. So he just had these moments of brilliance that was like, I didn't really like him because he wasn't this hard-charging, give-everything-for-the-club sort of player. But the more you kind of watch the nuance and subtlety of his game, the more he grew and the more I've come to really, really love him. And so now whenever I see something, I have like a genuine fondness for him for that reason. He's like, um, if Cantona is sugar, then Berbatov's mm-hmm. the artificial sweetener. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll take that one. He's pink packet Cantona is what he is. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, and then I think like the maybe the most like, culty player though would be uh, Federico Makeda. That, that's, that's one of the ones that comes to mind to from me, that's, like, that's recent a, era. That's a cult player. So why yeah. why Makeda? Why do I even know that but, name? I know that name and I'm not sure why. Exactly. I mean, I remember uh, former co-host Josh texting me because I was like driving back from a soccer game. He had been watching Man United, I think Aston Villa, when Man United ended up winning. And they had been losing, I think, like, 2-1 to one when last I saw. They win 3-2. And I texted him, like, what was the final results? Like, I'm assuming we lost. He was like, no, you won. And the next text was, who is Makeda? <laughs> and I was like, what? He played? And it was, he was like a, an Italian player who came over to the Man United Academy, you know, because his dad always wanted to be a gardener in Manchester. <laughs> uh, and he came over, came through the system. He played, like, very few games. But in this one game, he has an incredible, like, he, he receives the ball in defeat and has an incredible turn and shot, like, all in one motion. I think it's two touches. Scores the winner I think he scores again like a couple games later and he is again that sort of player that like everybody thinks is going to be the next big thing and then it's uh, Makeda it's Adnan Yanazai yeah Uh, that's the way it goes but in that moment it felt like oh this is the next legend and then really nothing I think he gets a bunch of loans I genuinely don't know if he's still playing I'm assuming he is I'm assuming he's like Serie B Serie A somewhere it's tough isn't it I I think Makeda's a cult player um, especially if people celebrate him for his role in the title win right yeah but which they should like you said it's really tough with Man United because if you're even a half decent player for Man United you are very heavily celebrated or you can unfortunately be a huge failure even if you're really good like Diego Forlan there's no one who remembers Diego Forlan's time at Man United really really fondly right so you can't nope. call him a you can't call him a cult player no yeah I think that's fair that's definitely fair. <laughs> um all right thank you for that question though Robert I enjoyed that mm-hmm. question uh, it, not least it gave me a chance to relive my memories of John Dwarf that's fair. That's fair. Uh, final question. Always good to relive the memories. Ooh, final will, question comes from... Let, sorry, mm-hmm. let me just say, um, a bit of a promotion. Um, I will post a link to that John DeWolf article um, f- on The Athletic uh, in the show notes. And it's also worth reminding people, The Athletic is doing a 90-day free trial. Um, if you go to theathletic.com slash totalsoccer, you get a 90-day free trial of The Athletic, which might mm-hmm. be enough to get you through what we're currently going through. Yeah. 
I think so. Hopefully. Maybe. Possibly. Fingers crossed. Um, and I, we were probably going to talk about this later, but since you've brought up The Athletic, uh, our friend George uh, is the uh, the soccer editor at The Athletic, or the main soccer editor. And Daryl, you're going to be doing some things with George. Yes, we're going to be uh, talking about David Goldblatt's new book, The Age mm-hmm. of Football, Soccer in the 21st Century, um, which is essentially about... The Ball is Round is his first famous book, right, which I read uh, back in the day. It was about the um, how soccer spread around the world. This is about how soccer took over the world, and for better or worse, in the 21st century. I actually think you'll really like this book, Taylor, because it's about how soccer influences and is influenced by, you know, politics, economics, and sociology, and all that kind of stuff. I'm in. Yeah. Um, but should we... Should we go? Well, I'll just say the abbreviated version is basically we had talked about doing like a whole big group thing and turning that into like a whole like actual like five, six person uh, roundtable conversation about the book. And then we realized that five people over the Internet and editing all that down would be yes. slightly nightmarish. Yeah. So it's going to be Daryl and George. It's also George has a lot to say. Right. And I'm, I, mm-hmm. I mean that in a good way. When you talk to George, he has a lot to say. He's a very smart man with a lot yeah. with a lot of thoughts. I actually think it will be good to just uh, for me and George to bounce off of each other and give George plenty of room to speak and give me plenty of room to speak and we can really get into the details of this book and i also think one of the things about this book from from what i've seen of it i've only read a little bit so far um you won't need to have read it to follow along because this book will spark conversations that will be interesting to listen to even if you haven't read the book all right. Uh, then I, I look forward to listening to that. I'm going to try to read it as well so I can uh, keep up with you yeah. all and then attack you and, and you criticize get, you when you say things I disagree And you get the day off every time that we do one of these episodes. I'm also okay <laughs> with that. Uh, one last thing on this one, Daryl. If yeah. we had a standard listener question, let's say we – like not even standard. Let's say like we just had six listener questions, like general questions, and it were myself, George Gracie, and Alexis Guerreros answering them. Would that podcast episode ever end? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I would be glad not to be involved in that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's make sure we end this one. Uh, but we do have one more question uh, from Katie Sutton. My dog and I play a soccer-like game where I play striker, she plays goalie or defender. If I were to nutmeg her, would the ball need to go between both her front legs and her back legs to count? What if I hooked it around her front legs and it went under her belly between her front legs and back legs? Would that count? So I've thought about this long and hard. Um, Me too. I think you need to count both, but in different ways. Okay. So I think the unfortunate thing about being a dog is you've got four legs and you're very susceptible to nutmegs, um, like straight under the belly. Um, Mm. But you can stop it, right? So I would, even though Katie didn't ask about this, I would say that if you can even get the ball under the dog's belly between both front and both back legs, you know what I'm saying? Like almost as the dog is like a goal standing there. um, Mm -hmm. That's half a point. I would say... It's one point if Katie can get the ball between just the front legs or just the back legs. And it's 10 points if you can get the ball uh, to go straight down the middle through the middle of all four legs. So half a point under the belly, one point for front or back legs, 10 points for through both sets of legs. But it's one point to the dog every time the dog stops it. All right. Uh, amazingly, you have made your answer more complicated than me. <laughs> this is uh, this is not the way this usually goes because I'm saying uh, I play this game with my dog. My dog uh, destroys soccer balls and thus never takes her eye off them. So it is really difficult to get her like perpendicular to me so that I can pass it under her belly between her front legs and her back legs. Yeah. So that is to me the end all be all of a nutmeg is if I can make that happen. Oh, even just the very basic simple one that we're talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah, she will never take her eye off the ball. Like my dog literally ripped her side open once because she tried to go around a bench to get a ball and like 
got caught on it and continued to want to play. I was like, I don't care. I'm bleeding. It's fine. Let's keep playing. I'm not stopping. You're not winning. It, like, she is intensity. It, so if you can get it under her at all without her getting the ball, I think that deserves credit. So but, it sounds like... Uh, I like your system, too. Either Katie's a better footballer than you, or that is true. Katie's dog is a worse defender than your dog. Or maybe some combination thereof. Or less of a lunatic, is what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my dog is... Uh, She's not the most intense dog in the world, but she is probably the most intense dog in the world. <laughs> so I hope I hope that helps, Katie. Um, well, what, what's your what's your actual answer to uh, to Katie's question? Um, I, I honestly think the times that I've tried to meg my dog like like face on like between her front legs, I end up just like kind of like hitting her in the chest with a soccer ball yeah. or like kicking her in the legs. Do you know what? So I'd rather like your dog's narrow. I'd rather get her. Yeah, exactly. She is very narrow. So I'd rather get her. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Because, like, labs do tend to have, like, a wider sort of gait. Yes. I mean, I definitely know that, like, say, my dog's front legs are farther apart than your dog's front legs. Oh, yeah. My dog's front legs are, oh, man, that's interesting. I would say, like, eight inches apart, if that. It's tough. So we don't, Katie, we need to know what type of dog. That's the thing, right? Yeah. What? Yeah, if you have have a dachshund, you're in trouble. (laughs) I think let us know the type of dog and we'll give you a definitive answer on this. <laughs> if you have a Pomeranian, it's just uh, it, like, <laughs> does the bo- dog move with the ball? That's your answer. We're assuming full size soccer ball, right? But we don't know mm-hmm. the size of the dog, and that makes everything complicated. <laughs> that, yeah. All right. So we need to know that before we can definitely answer. There we but go. I like your multi point system. That is probably the best way to go about this. Uh, it feels a little bit like you're like evolving the game to compensate for not being able to like go onto a big field and play with a bunch of people. You got to make it even more complicated. All right, but dog sucker court is in recess until we find out <laughs> what, what type of dog Katie has. <laughs> um, if, any, I like it. if anyone else has questions for us, thank you to everybody for today's questions. I really enjoyed them. Um, if anyone else has questions for us, it's totalsoccershow.com slash questions. The link will be in the show notes. We've had some really good ones lately, Taylor. So I'm looking forward to a few shows next week where we can do Sunderland Till I Die, another episode, and listener questions. Um, I, I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, one thing that I would say uh, for people who are maybe having dogs that are going a little bit stir crazy, like my wife, we, we have a house, but it's, it's, it's a pretty small house, but we can still make it work. Uh, we play hide and seek with our dog where one of us will go upstairs and find a spot to hide and the other one stays downstairs and then we send her up to go find the person. And then while she's finding my wife upstairs, I will hide downstairs and we just keep that going back and forth. <laughs> That's a good game. That's whatever, a good game. Whatever passes the time, Tyler. It works, man. <laughs> Whatever. She's smart. She's good at this. She's she's a, she's a good problem solver. Anyway, before that, I was wrapping up the show, if you remember. So yeah, I got a couple more things I wanted to uh, say. Do you really? No. <laughs> All right, Taylor Rockwell. I'll say this. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again next week. <laughs>